like there's no one technology or one methodology to rule them all. Find the right tool for the right job. What are your goals? Here's like the dozens of things you can choose from. What's the one that's going to fit that goal the best? And that kind of goes back into my user experience designer mindset. It's like, that's how I design software and user experiences. Factory built caught my eye. I came across the first stuff of of factory built homes a few years ago it just once again facepalm seems so obvious like why are we not doing this more there's less waste welcome to the passive house podcast brought to you by passive house accelerator a catalyst for zero carbon building for news inspiration and connections from all flavors of passive house check out passivehouseaccelerator.com Sign up to receive regular updates about events, get your questions answered, and contribute to the community dialogue. There's loads of free information for experienced professionals and people just starting out on their Passive House journey. We hope to see you at one of our weekly Passive House Accelerator Live webinars. You can also check out our Reimagined Buildings YouTube channel for some great inspiration for both building new or renovating. In the meantime, here's this week's Passive House podcast. Welcome back to the Passive House podcast. I'm Matthew Cutley-Welsh coming to you from Tamaki Makoto, Auckland. And uh, this week we've got Zach. Welcome back. Thank you. Good to see you. How's things in Seattle? They're good. They're good. It's getting cold. Nice. Nice. And uh, we are very uh, lucky this week to have with us Sean. Sean, uh, be familiar voice to, to most people, usually through uh, video, but uh, welcome to the pod. Thank you very much, Matthew. Good to be here and uh, great to have a great discussion about uh, Matt Farrell and uh, how we were able to uh, get him on the show from, again, being connected to a different audience. Um, Where are you at the moment, Sean? So, yeah, I'm in Vancouver, um, downtown, where, yeah, a couple hours north of uh, of Zach with similar weather. So cooler temperatures. So we're at two degrees um, early this morning. I think now we're about 10. So uh, that's Celsius. Which you understand, that's, I know. Yeah, yeah, that's proper proper um, temperatures. Yeah, yeah I understand that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, as you mentioned, uh, awesome uh, conversation today. Some really exciting stuff. So uh, keen to jump into that. Um, but uh, before we do that, uh, we've got a few people to thank, Zach. Yes, indeed. So a big thank you to our founding sponsors, Four Seven Five High Performance Building Supply. Baxed Ingui Architects, Glavel, Minotaur, Mitsubishi Electric Train HVAC US, Partel, Rockwell North America, Stocorp, and Zola Windows. Thanks too to our champion sponsors, Boizo, Gradient, Icon Windows and Doors, Intelligent Membranes, PH Airseal, Prosico, and Source 2050. And a big thank you to our stakeholder partner, NYSERDA, the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority. Awesome. Uh, now we didn't, uh, we haven't discussed this, but um, I feel like it's worth mentioning uh, that I've heard some rumors, got some notifications this week about Ashray two two seven P. Don't know if you guys have been across that at all. Indeed, I'm kind of waiting with bated breath to learn more and more about it. It's very—I'm totally excited about it. 
Yeah. Uh, so that is the new ASHRAE passive building standard, uh, which I first heard about uh, at the last Fierce conference, or leading up to the last mm-hmm. um, Fierce Con, uh, but it's been in play for a few years now. Um, the the standards committee was approved during 2019. Uh, ASHRAE went to conference. And for those that haven't heard of this or don't know what we're talking about, it's basically a a passive house standard um, built within ASHRAE. Is that is that a good way of describing it, Zach? Yes, and so this is um, Graham Wright of Fias has been one of the the key kind of uh, spearheads of this effort, um, and then it's involved all sorts of other people, inc- and and also a collaborative process there um with with folks like um uh, Jessica Gross Smith from PHI um and and many others. So that I think is part of what's so exciting about this is that you have all these different experts from kind of different um places coming together at ASHRAE through a very rigorous process to to develop a standard that could work for and could be adopted into you know by jurisdictions in a really straightforward manner. So I think that's that's the promise here. And ASHRAE is so well-respected and such an authority for the standard to come from ASHRAE would, I think, uh, allow it to, to uh, would kind of open, I think, doors that that currently may not be open right now for this envelope-first approach to building decarbonization. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the fact that I know what ASHRAE is uh, um, and the reason I know that is because when you dive into our building code here in New Zealand... Uh, you get down to some of the clauses and then some of the clauses reference international standards. And among those international standards that are referenced are some of the ASHRAE standards. So the the influence uh, and respectability of ASHRAE goes far beyond the, the US uh, and it really is um, seen as a reference and used as a, as a uh, reference. So we, we refer to some of the tables and some of the standards for some of the um, Performance requirements in in our in our building code. So it it is a uh, it is a really exciting development. And so the develop the recent development is um, uh, what is it the first first draft or, or what what's what's happened recently? So there's a draft out for um, for comment and review. And I, my understanding there is, so the first the first round. So I'm I'm right now I'm referring to an article written by Graham Wright um, on the FIAS website and and. And uh, he graciously um, allowed us to rerun it on the the accelerator site as well. And so the first round is this advisory public review. Uh, and then the second round will be a more f- formal publication public review. Uh, so it's going to go through two rounds of review and um, will be, I think, subjected to some uh, some, you know, uh, critique from folks who may be skeptical of the of the approach. And it's not it's not like. It, this is a, it's going to be a pretty uh, thorough, we should say, process is my understanding. Um, so we'll see. We'll see, you know, what ends up how it ends up evolving and changing uh, through this review process. We'll link to the to the article on the, on the accelerator. Uh, and it does. It says, um, yeah, open for public comment through to 13th of November. So um, people have got a few weeks to jump in there and, and have a look at it and, yep. and provide feedback. Indeed, and I think there's going to be a big session on that at at FiasCon, the the yes. Fias's conference in Houston as well. So, yeah. um, the, for folks who are going there, there's going to you'll get a chance to learn a lot more. Awesome.
All right. Uh, yeah, good stuff. Go and check that out. Um, I think that's going to have some, hopefully, some some really positive implications uh, around the world. All right, uh, Sean, tell us tell us a little bit about Matt. Yeah, hey, just before we do that, I'll just give you an update. A few months ago on the podcast, you talked about a really cool multifamily pacifist project here in Coquitlam um, called Skagen, and I actually got to check it out this past weekend, and uh, hopefully I'll get some camera on it so we could maybe see that project on the Reimagined Buildings um, channel soon enough. But um, really cool uh, townhouse project in amongst other townhouses. And so it doesn't look different from the neighboring ones, but I knew that it was a passive house. And again, great job by our passive community here in uh, Vancouver. And Coquitlam is one of the suburbs and beautiful project that I got to uh, recently check out. But yeah, so switching gears to Matt, um, I was um, been connected to the fully charged community, which is um, another YouTube channel, another community talking about the you know electrical movement in cars, and then the combination of how that connects with homes. Um, and I think you know Zach has been um, more involved in that group than maybe me. But um, in Vancouver, it was you know again the electric car movement or the vehicle movement has been fascinating to be it, and so. The fact that they understand how buildings need to be a place for charging and then you start to deal with the connections and how cars can be batteries or just, you know, a really cool connection. And um, and so I was able to be on a panelist talking about energy hacks and just, you know, how do we make homes improvement or sorry, improve homes. And uh, of course, you know, Matt was there because he was talking about his home and what he did and and uh, just gave the audience some really good insight of things that uh, we all could do to improve our homes by the little things. And then if you're going to be building brand new, how the passive standard is such a great way to look at and using that envelope first approach. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, let's get into uh, your conversation. Here he is, uh, Matt Farrell. Well, I am super excited to have uh, Matt Farrell from Undecided and Sean St. Amore, who everybody at Passive House Accelerator knows and, and loves well already. And actually, many people at Passive House Accelerator probably also know Matt Farrell's work. Um, Matt Farrell has 1.28 million subscribers on his YouTube channel, um, Undecided with Matt Farrell. I think that's the appropriate way to, 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 to say the title of the channel. Um, and um, has been just doing this amazing work about um, sharing information about net zero home building, about solar panels, about all sorts of different technologies in, involved in the clean energy transition and in renewable energy. Um, his his uh, passive house uh, focused, well, he has many passive house focused videos, but he has an explainer that specifically about passive house has 1.4 million views, which is so amazing and so um helpful to everyone um, in this community. So <laughs> that is a very long-winded way of welcoming you, Matt, <laughs> to the Passive House Podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me here. I'm really excited to talk to you guys. And uh, Sean and I met in Vancouver uh, at Fully Charged Live, uh, and we were on the same panel together. Um, and we were talking about Passive House standards and my experience building a net zero home. Uh, it was a really fun conversation to have with him on the panel. And is kind of like an extension of that so it's really excited to be able to come talk to you guys well thank you thank you so and i i think sean sean you and i are both kind of doing this fanboy thing right now so we'll have to like we'll have to like <laughs> cool it on that so we can actually have a reasonable conversation here yeah i i was getting really fortunate to be on a panel sharing energy hacks with matt 
and uh, describing to uh, to the crowd there of uh, some of the you know resources and experience we've had in the passive house world. And uh, again, just really exciting to to share the opportunity to just connect with Matt because you know again I watched that video and was inspired about his story and how he was sharing a project, and also then you know just looking at. Um, you know, being on the East Coast and looking at high performance and how influencers um, are spreading the world through, you know, that network. Because again, you look at some of the um, high performance um, neighborhoods, you know, the Northeast is a big pocket, California's a big pocket. And so uh, to see again, another high performance project being uh, created in the Northeast um, was exciting. And of course, Matt had a great opportunity to share it. And of course, with his um, his subscribers being able to to showcase that and for them to learn is is great because this is what we're trying to do is spread all the amazing benefits about Passive House and Matt had a great opportunity to do that and uh, and here we are today to kind of dive into uh, more about what he did he had created with his project and so Matt if you want to maybe just share a little bit of your project so the audience has a better understanding of what you did and why you did it sure well the, my project kind of stemmed from. I was doing like that that video you mentioned that passive house like primer video that came from me doing my own research trying to learn more about it because all this stuff has been a big interest to me and so it's like over the years of learning all this stuff i wanted to kind of like walk the walk not just talk the talk so i wanted to kind of have a house that was a high performance house and so my wife and i have a couple of years ago decided to build one and where to start it's like there's all these mm -hmm. problems you run into with trying to build a passive house or something close to that standard because our my house is not going to be passive house certified specifically but there's aspects of it that are going to be very close to that um trying to build a house that standard with the building network there's not a lot of people that know how to do that and that's one of the big problems so for my house i ended up partnering with a company called unity homes which is based in new hampshire out here in the northeast and it's a kind of an offshoot of ted benson's benson wood homes uh, and they have this factory where they build all of the basically wall panels, like densely insulated, you know, uh, cellulose insulation that's packed in the wall panels. They do all, all of that in the factory, which is climate controlled, deliver all that to the site and assemble the house in a matter of days. And then it still takes months after that because your local contractors have to come in and put the drywall up, do the electrical plumbing, finish everything out. But we went that path because it felt to me as the uh, like the through line to a more efficient way to build with less waste, uh, getting something that's going to be extremely well insulated, very airtight. They have a track record of doing this. So it was a company I trusted to try to get me to that level that I was looking for. And then the struggle was then I tried to find a local contractor that could finish out the house in the area that actually had some knowledge, <laughs> mm -hmm. which was, again, difficult. But I did find somebody that had some understanding of the basic principles and so i felt confident that i had to kind of assemble a team to help me build this net zero house uh the goal obviously net zero energy over the course of a year um gonna have solar panels home energy storage the whole nine yards uh so that was kind of like in a nutshell that's the project that i started out two years ago yeah that's and we know unity homes well uh so i, I think you're in good hands so where is and where is it now in terms of um the process is it completed you're getting I'm close in it. right you're in it you're in <laughs> it okay in it. awesome yes awesome this is my this is my brand new studio i've only yeah. filmed a couple episodes so far in here um, i'm still getting set up uh the house is technically still not completely done it's like we're like 99 percent done now um 
the HVAC system is still not completely set up. Like we have a geothermal heat pump system. Uh, there was a problem getting the superheater tank fit because in the mechanical room because there wasn't enough room. So that slowed things down for the superheater tank. Uh, so there's like little things that are getting wrapped up now, but probably within the next two to three weeks, it'll be officially done, done. Um, so we're very, very close to the done, yeah. the finish line. Yeah. Right, right. And how is it feeling? It's awesome. Like we were here less than a week and my wife just independently said to me, this house feels so fresh all the time. Like yeah. fr- it feels fresh air constantly. And I said, yeah. well, that's the ERV. And she was like, what? And I had to explain to her again, like the ERV is constantly running 24 hours a day, seven days a week, bringing the fresh air. And it's, we love it. It's like it, the house is quiet. Um, the air quality, you can, you can, t- you can tell it's fresher in this house than our old house, which was a house from the 1950s, uh, a little bungalow kind of ranch style house. Um, we did the best we could with that house, re-insulating it and trying to improve it, but it's still, you know, old house and it just didn't have the same air quality, um, high CO2 levels in every room in that house. (laughs) It It was very hard to keep it fresh. And this house is just dramatically different. Yeah, that I love was, seeing those benefits. I mean, that's a great and and you know, again, when people don't get what an ERV is, you know, energy recovery ventilator, just it's the fresh air machine. It's filtered yeah. fresh coming in, and uh, it's crazy when you when you experience a passivos. And this is what I love about passivos is like it doesn't take you that long, but when you walk into one, you feel the difference. And and it's really exciting to hear you know you guys enjoying that space because you know we talk about it all the day, but most people just know about shelter and they know. Mm-hmm. That that they've had leaky homes and, you know, you got to put on a sweater when it gets cold or slippers, or you got to close off rooms in the winter because you don't want to heat the spaces. And so for you guys to be able to experience it, it's, it's fantastic. And again, my passion is resilient prefab passive houses. So your example of, you know, looking at speed and efficiencies for construction. And even if like that last 10% of your construction bill takes that, you know, that actually a little bit, um, you know, the fact that you guys are working through it all to uh, enjoy the spaces. And, and I also appreciate you talking about mechanical rooms because in all of our new builds, I keep telling designers, make your mechanical rooms eight by eight and start with that size and see where yeah. it goes. Most of the time it's these closet spaces and you're like, trades can't work in there. You want to put in this, you know, system that works efficiently, make sure the space works out quite well. So really glad you guys are enjoying the space. And now uh, you're almost there to uh, yeah. wrapping it up. Yeah, the, the comfort of a, of this house is something that can't be understated. It's like uh, a lot of my focus in the videos I've talked about is there's a lot on the money side. There's a lot on the efficiency and energy efficiency side. But the part of it that's the piece of the puzzle I think needs to be voiced more is just the quality of life improvement of a house like this is we've been here for a few weeks now. It's night and day. <laughs> I, didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't expect it to be that different but it is. And I, I'm, I'm loving it. Like I have bad allergies, that ERV system and the whole thing. It's like I've September is my worst month and it's been fantastic in this house. So it's like just the quality of life improvement to me is worth that extra money that we spent building this house. Um, even beyond the energy efficiency and all that kind of stuff we're doing. And on the mechanical room, <laughs> that was something that, uh, has kind of bit me in the butt on this uh, build uh, because initially it was that little closet, this tiny like little thing that was originally in the plans. And we said, we're going geothermal. We're going to need some extra room for this, this and that. And so they increased the size. And even that increased size wasn't enough. We still probably could have used an extra foot or two um, in the, in the space. Um, So it's, it's one of those 
2020 hindsight, if I could do it over again, I would have said, could you just make that room just a little bit bigger? Because we sized it exactly to what our um, my mechanical engineer that helped design the system. We've sized it to exactly what he thought it would need. And we should have just added 10% or something like that on top of what he recommended. Um, so yeah, mechanical rooms are very important. <laughs> yeah, there again, that like lungs, it's essential part of the house. And typically when we have a basement and then an open floor concept and then the bedrooms, you know, ha- mm-hmm. having that um, mechanical room be the the like the lungs and be able to get to up the house, it, it gets pretty tight pretty quick, especially with open floor concepts. And so uh, designers and architects out there start with the eight by eight. And again, our good friend, Monty Paulson has the pattern language course. And he talks about, you know, number one decision is is dive into the mechanical room and then work on your kitchens and master uh, bedrooms and bathrooms. So uh, lessons learned and, and Matt's sharing us. Yeah. Never go small on your mechanical room. You will need the space. And if, <laughs> in the end, if you've got extra storage space, you can put your Christmas tree and your Christmas decorations there. Exactly. You know, start with uh, setting up your trades for success. Yeah. You, you can, you can't go bigger, but you can take advantage of, you can't go bigger later. It's like, you can take advantage of the extra space. Like you said, it's free storage. So it's like, if you size it a little too large, it doesn't hurt anything. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Good point. In some of your recent videos, you talked about um, all of the different kind of, um, or all, a bunch of different kinds of approaches to sustainable building that you've been, um, you know, doing over the last several years. Um, and that two things jumped out at, at you, passive house and factory built homes. So I would, I'd love to uh, talk a little bit more about that, but maybe before that, like what, I feel like your your YouTube channel is kind of this this manifestation of of your curiosity and and all these different all this different exploration and and um, the the title undecided of course uh, is um, you know emphasizes that how, how did you what what were you doing before all this and how did how did you <laughs> get here. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Before before this, I I worked as um, I was a creative director at a um, software company, but my career was as a user interface and then user experience designer and then eventually a creative director running teams. So I've worked in the tech industry for twenty plus years before I shifted and doing what I'm doing now. Um, so I've always been curious, very technically minded, always enjoyed learning. Um, like you said, undecided. That's the whole point of the channel. Is my curiosity is kind of leading where I'm going on the channel. Um, so it's like, that's kind of the inspiration behind it. Um, I got to a point in my career where it's like, I wanted to do something different and I wanted to try to put something good out in the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and so it's like, I made this shift and it was a kind of a radical shift going into YouTube and trying to do that. And my timing was just dumb luck. So it's like my, my background, obviously communications, interface design, I'm worried about user experience. So it's like some of the storytelling, trying to break this stuff down into a way people can understand, I think is something I... Yeah. I kind of innately have. Mm-hmm. And then it was trying to see if I could do something on YouTube with that, with that to make it work. And my timing just couldn't have been better. It's like I started yeah. by talking about electric vehicles and it slowly started to roll in. And that was right when Tesla and the Model 3 was coming out. And so my timing on that, I think, helped to propel my channel and give me some momentum uh, to really kind of grow what I was doing. And the channel's just kind of slowly evolved over the past five years into what it is now. Um like I said, I'm following my passions, but that that's kind of what led me into it. Yeah. Right. And and so so the channel is just five years old then? Yeah. Wow. Five years. I, I would have assumed it was it had been around longer. <laughs> it feels like it's been around longer because I do a video every week. So there's a lot of videos up there. Um, but yeah, 
I'm just saying, again, our, our uh, listeners don't see this, but you got a lovely plaque on the wall there that describes, you know, how many users you have, which is which is a great feat. And congrats to uh, to your success. But yeah, going to Zach's question, like, you know, uh, tell us about your team and and how does the system run? And and also, um, you know, how do you gather up new ideas? Because now that you're you're in this, you you have to be innovative and and looking and searching for like the latest and greatest. And and also just maybe the third question is just share with some of the new things you're you're looking at and uh, that are on your um, research and kind of interest. Well, doing what I'm doing and doing it on a weekly cadence is I, I don't recommend it. <laughs> it's a lot to do. Um, when I started, it was just me for the first few, couple, like two years or so, two, three years. It was just me doing the writing, research, editing, the whole thing. And so then my team has slowly over the past few years shaped up into, I have a couple of video editors that are helping me out. I have a couple of uh, researchers slash writers uh, that help me out. I have a uh, producer that kind of helps me kind of like run the logistics of the operation. Uh, so that's kind of the core team. And then I also have kind of an offshoot. I call them my science advisory board. It's made up of mechanical engineers, uh, physicists, uh, material scientists. And it's like these this group of people that I can lean on. So as we're pulling something together, we can make sure that we're not misstating something. We can double check if there's some piece of research we want to look at. We can toss it to them and get feedback pretty quickly and efficiently. Um, so that's kind of the the machine I've built to be able to keep the cadence up that I'm doing right now. Um, as far as the topics, how I'm finding them is honestly, it's through the, a lot of it's through the comments. Because what's funny is you put out a video on passive houses and then you'll get a dozen comments about like, what about earth, you know, earth ships or what about this or what about that? And so when you start to pick up on those trends, what people are asking, that starts a whole snowball of like, okay, let's look into those three things. Oh, that one looks really interesting. Let's follow that thread. Um, the other one is like, I watch YouTube a lot <laughs> myself. Yeah. And I also do a lot of reading and I follow news sites. And so when I see articles pop up on my feeds or I see a YouTube video pop on my feed, that's on a topic that I didn't know about. It's like, then it just, once again, sends me down a rabbit hole. And once I find something that I think is an interesting thread to pull, I'll, I'll kind of write something up, have my team help me do a deep dive on it. And we'll pull a video together. And, and as far as like the topics that we're looking at now, we're looking at things all over the map right now. Uh, but the topics I'm kind of really focused on, it's like, I'm worried I'm going to be creating more videos about my house and my experience. So there's going to be a whole bunch of videos coming up around my geothermal system, the solar panels, and why did the design I did the way I did, uh, the home energy storage, uh, some of the pros and cons of the experience once it's all said and done, like what was my takeaway from it? So it's like, I'm going to be doing a whole bunch of videos on that. Um, there's more videos on different new energy storage technologies coming up that have kind of caught my eye. So that, that's kind of like what's on the roadmap for the next few months. Uh, but yeah, it's like I said, I follow my passions wherever it takes me. <laughs> right. And you you just mentioned earthships and and also like there are all these different ways that we can reduce dependence on fossil fuels and and uh, uh, battery storage is one of them. But there's also the thermal storage of, of buildings as well because of um, this this uh, kind of breadth of work that you've done. You you have a a um, a very uh, kind of uh, a bird's eye view kind of on all these different technologies that are that are available to us to uh, dial in zero carbon lifestyles potentially, right? So why, what is it about Passive House, factory built homes? Like why you have you have that kind of experience and understanding. Um, so what, 
kind of drove you toward the solutions that you're applying now? Yeah, there, there's no one like there's no one technology or one methodology to rule them all. It's like that's it's find the right tool for the right job. What are your goals? Here's like the dozens of things you can choose from. What's the one that's going to fit that goal the best? And that kind of goes back into my ex- user experience designer <laughs> mindset. It's like that's how I design software and user experiences around the whole like customer experience of a business. Um trying to figure out what was the right approach that would fit that goal, whatever those goals might be. And for me, I wanted a house that was going to be kind of like it would look and feel like a standard house. I didn't want anything kind of like too out there. Um, and I don't want to cast shade on anything, but like, you know, rammed earth, you know, those, those kind of things. It's like, I was never going to go to that path because that was just not the right fit for me. So when I was looking at all the things that were out there, passive house, which is the one that kept coming back to me as is like a face palm, this is so obvious, obvious why this is the best approach for what I'm looking for. Um, then it came down to factory built caught my eye. I came across the first stuff of, of factory built homes a few years ago. Um, it was unity homes. Actually, I kind of stumbled upon a few years ago and it was just like maybe four years ago. It just, once again, facepalm seems so obvious. Like, why are we not doing this more? There's less waste. It's like, you can buy all this like lumber and it's not for a specific project. And it's got all these weird off cuttings that you can't like easily reuse. And they're just tossed or whatever happens to them. It's like you can do it in a factory and the, all that wood just carries over from project to project to project, which re- reduces the waste. And it creates the scenario where it's all done in this kind of like climate controlled building, which reduces concerns about rain or snow affecting the the walls themselves and the home themselves. And so for me, that was like the it seemed like the peanut butter and chocolate <laughs> solution to me of like, I can have this kind of like passive house ish kind of home with a factory built kind of side to it, which will actually help with the materials and the efficiencies of building it. Um, it just seemed perfect. And then on top of that, um, going the unity homes approach numbers wise, if you're just talking to like, uh, finances, it was probably a little less money than having somebody do a stick built home. It wasn't dramatically different in my right. area, but it was right. slightly less. So it was I, it was kind of the benefit of, well, if you're looking at cost, maybe it's kind of a wash, mm-hmm. but you get the benefits of this factory built home on top of it. So it, it maybe, seemed like a no brainer. Right. And maybe a little, also a little bit more certainty that the number that you're getting is close to the number you'll end up paying at the end of the day. Oh. Too. Yeah. No, oh, maybe oh, not. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say... <laughs> COVID. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, yeah. I'm, bringing, I'm bringing up a sore yeah. topic, right? The timing yeah, was like, tough for you. Yeah, you are <laughs> correct. That it's like, it would have been like, okay, here's the number they gave me. And it's like, here's the time frame. We think it's yeah. going to be nine months. It's like, it would have been what you just said. But because right. we started right at the beginning of the pandemic, and then it was just kind of like the pandemic, prices just went nuts. And it got to the point where Unity was saying, uh, we're having trouble giving you quotes right now because things are right. just wacko and yeah. we're going to have to, we might have to raise things. And then my local builder was saying the same thing of like, we kind of think it's this, but it's not going to be that because in three months it's going to might be higher. So it was, it was uh, scary, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> concerning. So it, I didn't get to enjoy that aspect of it, but in a normal time period, yes, it would have mm-hmm. been that for sure. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned passive house ish, and you and 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 before you 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 said it wasn't going to be certified. So what what elements of the project did you um, decide not to do? Go go to passive house. What, well, I guess there are two questions. Was it 
Because there's also just a question of like, well, I have a past vows, but I'm not going to certify it. There's that question. Right. And there's also the question of like, well, I decided I didn't want to go this far on this parameter. And here's why. So could you kind of dive into uh, those those two themes a little bit with us? Yeah. Once yeah. I decided to go to Unity, it's, it's the way they build the walls is the way they build the walls. And so because of that, it's not going to quite meet the passive house standards because of the thermal bridging issues. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Unity has done a great job with thermal bridging of the designs of their walls to really try to minimize it. Uh, they use uh, 10 inch um, I beams in the walls to try to help with that. But again, it's still not to passive house standards for the thermal bridging in the house. Um, we talked to, I talked to like, there's a HERS raider in my area that did the final evaluations in the house. And I had a conversation with him about this exact issue of uh, if we wanted to get passive house certified, could we? And he said, maybe you could have, but it would have been a stretch. And you, I of course would have to do it from the very beginning, which would then alter how some of the house would have to be built. And of course, Unity Homes is a factory built thing. And the whole reason that they do the things they do the way they do is to keep costs down. Right. And as soon as I start customizing it too much, suddenly I'm in Bensonwood Homes. I'm not in Unity Homes, yeah. which increases mm-hmm. the cost. So it was all these kind of things for me. It came down to the money. Um, I didn't care about the certification of like being able to say it's passive house certified. I had my goals of, I want a house that's airtight, just like a passive house. I want a house that's as airtight as a passive house. And even though there might be some thermal bridging issues in my house, I still want a house that has insulation values that are as close to passive house as I can get. Um, and I did that. So it's like the walls of my house are very close. There are 35. It's very close to what would it need to be for a passive house. Um, my attic ended up being, it was supposed to be R65, but I think it's R70 in mm-hmm. the attic. Um, and then I've got the triple pane, tilt turn windows, all those kind of things. So I got all the things I was looking for for to achieve the goals I was looking for. Um, yeah. But that certification yeah. was not something I needed to have. And it felt like if I had done that, it may have increased costs and may have stretched out timelines, even though they were already stretched out. So it's like it was kind of time and money that kind of persuaded me to kind of like not go that path. Yeah, that makes sense. And and you um in one of the videos documented the the air the blower door test and hitting point beating point six ACH fifty, correct? Oh, there's a whole story to that. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, do tell. The, do tell. The, yeah, when Unity Homes builds the house on site, they have the shell up. They test the shell. Yeah, and so it's like there's no HVAC system in there. There's nothing in there. And for my house, I'm sitting in a studio, which is actually an extension off the back of the garage. And so when they did the test, the shell, my studio and office was not included as part of that air tightness test. Um, So when they beat that 0.6 ACH 50, it was like, yeah, it's awesome. But it was also like, it's not the full house. What's going to happen when they're done with the full house. Mm -hmm. So the second test they did once unity was done, my local contractor took over and they did a mid point test and that actually did include my studio and office they hit an ach 50 of around a one so it got worse i expected that no big deal then there was the test that happened when the house was quote finished a month and a half ago or so and that one came in at 1.2 so each one got worse and i had been told all along the way of it'll get better because when you put up the You put up the walls and all that stuff, the paint, everything, everything helps. And it's like, why is it getting worse? I don't understand this. So I was voiced my concern to my contractor and she was very receptive. And so we did a fourth blower door test. Same hers Raider came back and I was 
talking to him about the whole thing. And what had happened was on the, the, the quote final one, there was, I think it was 11 trades were going in and out of the house. It was incredibly busy. Uh. The HVAC system was not finished. Um, and so the theory is we think with all those people going in and out, a door may have been not quite sealed correctly or something in the attic was not quite sealed correctly. And so there was a miscalculation that was just kind of unavoidable because of all the craziness and the HVAC system not being done. The fourth test, HVAC systems up and running. They did the whole test. It was just a few of us. So there was less chaos in the house. And it came in, I think it was a, don't quote me on this completely, but it was like 0.93 or something like that, 0.94. So it went back down to just under a one. Um, and the one thing he told me was, <laughs> I'm curious to hear what you guys think about this. He said, don't focus on the ACH 50 number because he said, it all depends on the volume of the house. The larger the building, that number is just inevitably going to go up. And he said he just certified a passive house. It's totally certified. And it was a massive, massive house. And it has an ACH 50 of four. And it passed. And he said because it passed the volumetric number, which was uh, the air changes per square cubic foot. And he said it achieved below that 0 0.06 number for the volumetric number, which allowed it to pass the passive house standard. My house, even though it was a 0.94 or whatever it was, he said the volumetric number is a 0 0.054 or 56. So it does squeak just under that volumetric number. I'm curious what you guys know or think about that difference between using the ACH 50 number as the ultimate number you're going after versus this cubic foot volumetric number. Yeah, I know when you're looking at the volumetric, it is more accurate to the house, whereas like being able to compare the number across passive houses is like okay you've got below the 0.6 so it's great um but yeah looking at the exchange the um you know air exchange rate based on your volume you're definitely going to get more and exact because you can kind of figure out you know where what the size is and i know again between you know the different standards between phi and phs they they look at things differently but at the end of the day you're getting an air tightness rating um, and you're able to compare it and be able to find leaks. I definitely know from going from 0.6 moving upwards um, and our projects, you know, we, we always test the shell and then we start poking holes just to get an idea of like, where does the mechanical system fail? And, you know, we just finished a house and it was 0.64 at mid and then, yeah, we poked holes and now we've got like six penetrations that are good mechanical systems for makeup air and a, you know, a bathroom that couldn't have the HRV running it too. So it finished up 0.93. So I definitely understand of like, Hey, things should have gotten better, but I realized, yeah, I knew it was going to get worse because we're poking holes. Um, and so when you look at, you know, the performance of, of what your goals were um, sometimes when you're, you know, you're that low, the trades are like, well, I don't need to tape this or I don't need to like fix this or cock this. And you're like, every little hole matters. People don't give up. And all these little things start adding up and, and when you start to you start to grow from your number because you had everything nice and tight and then people start poking. And if they're not uh, telling, you know, your air boss about, hey, I just poked holes, then things get forgotten. And again, that final stage of, hey, people need to move in and you've got 20,000 trades running in and out and people aren't communicating of, hey, um, we had to get that line out or the water line out or whatever penetration occurs and someone doesn't say, oh, I created the hole, but you now need to send 
their boss in to fix it. Um, all those things just add up. And yeah, when you cover a drywall or do things, then, you know, you miss those opportunities. So, uh, yeah, it's always tricky when, um, you know, how the goals are aligned, but all together, I mean, you're enjoying the benefits of it. And, you know, you compare the number you got may not be, you know, uh, right at the passive house level. Um, but, you know, again, in the past house world, we look at getting a low energy standard and it sounds like you're really close to there. And a whole bunch of, you know, past house nerds would love to geek out about how bad those thermal bridges were from those Unity home walls because uh, they're probably pretty good. Um, and then if you compare that house to uh, to to the BC Energy step code where I'm at, I mean, you're at a 2032 house, you're step code five below uh, below one. So, I mean, um, remarkable achievement for what your goals were and where you're at. And uh, like you said earlier, the fact that you're enjoying the comfort and the health and those benefits, you know, bravo that you yeah. were able to hit your goals. Thanks. My, my hearse writer said something similar to me when he was doing that fourth floor door test. He was like, Matt, you got to keep in mind your house is so airtight we're getting down to diminishing returns that if we got it even more tight, the amount of effort and energy and money that it would take to figure that all out versus what you will, how much it would reduce your energy bills over the course of the next 10 years. He said, we so insignificant. He goes, your house is phenomenal. So he said, don't, don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. And so when he said that to me, I was like, okay, yes. it's like for Massachusetts, for the, the rebates, I, I qualified for the tier two rebate. Um, if I had gotten to passive house certified levels, I could have gotten to the, I think it's the tier one or the tier three. I can't remember which one it was, but for, I got to tier two, which was the ultimate goal. That's where we thought we were going to land and we landed there. So we got exactly what we were trying to get. Well, I mean, we're almost upon Halloween. So you guys could do another test, bring in your smoke machine that we always enjoy for Halloween and actually turn it inside your house and then see where the smoke goes, because that's that real great device. And, you know, using your thermal imaging camera to see, okay, well, where are those leaks? And could I easily fix them up with another blow door test, another smoke machine? And uh, but otherwise, you're right. If you're if you're happy and content where you're at, again, bravo score. And like you said, you've achieved the goals you uh, you sought out for, which is remarkable. And 10.93 is below 1.0, which is the the threshold for Enterfit certification. So you know you're. I mean, this is a new house, of course. It's but you know it's it's quite it's quite good. So yeah. I'm excited. I'm I'm not complaining. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Zach, this is what's exciting about, you know, again, what Matt's up to and even what we're trying to do with the accelerator is just how YouTube is changing our information source. I mean, um, it's great when, you know, Matt's probably trying to create his videos. Well, it's all based on 22 minutes, right? That whole idea of getting TV shows ready to add, you know, eight minutes of commercials. Well, now we have kind of like that magical sweet number of what television has created for us. And now YouTube is the the resource for our education. And um, I have to say too, a lot of my, you know, where I go to watch stuff is on YouTube. And uh, again, Matt, it's great that you have this amazing resource you're putting out every week, which of course is is a huge effort to do and, and keep that engine rotating and working with your producer to make sure you've got a plan and a process and a methodology to, you know, to what you do. Um, you know, maybe we can just kind of talk about that a little bit about just, um, you know, just what kind of energy, you know, it takes to create this, um, this engine. Um, because, you know, a little bit, we're kind of, again, I say we, uh, copying is a form of flattery and, uh, and the people that are doing different things in the YouTube world is, is definitely that we look forward to try to educate more people on, on our niche, um, which is the passive house, um, standards. Um, but yeah, just maybe explain a little bit more of just, um, 
you know, your methodology to just create your engine and keep your passion flowing. It really just comes down to, I am very curious. And so I want to try to share that curiosity, the things I'm learning with everybody else in the videos. And that's the whole, that's the whole machine. That's the whole engine that, that churns. And I you hit the nail on the head. YouTube has unlocked something that didn't exist before. It makes it so accessible for anybody who has knowledge in these areas. Like you guys have a YouTube channel where you're sharing all of the industry knowledge to help people come along. And it's the same thing for what I'm doing. It's we're, tr we're just trying to get the word out. So it's like, I want to try to raise awareness. And for me, it's just the idea of raising awareness. And I, I also, I have, I struggle with this as a content creator. Cause it's like, I don't want people to think you should do exactly what I did. It's more of a mm -hmm. trying to inspire you to understand others. Oh, I didn't even know that was a thing. And then getting somebody curious in their own way to want to go doing their own digging and like, oh, that doesn't work for me. But that made me realize that this other thing would be. So it's like just getting people curious and wanting to learn on their own to try to find those solutions that work for them, uh, which is the whole reason why I've talked about earth ships and passive houses and gigantic passive certified hotels and things like that. Because I want to try to raise awareness of what's happening out there to get people inspired to go out and do something for themselves. Uh, but it doesn't have to be exactly what I'm talking about doing. It's just I'm just trying to get people inspired. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're lucky that again, the fully charged event was a combination of the EV world coming into yeah. looking, uh, high performance homes and how they work together in this whole world about decarbonizing the uh, the climate. And so uh, it was great to have an opportunity to, to connect with you and again, have you in Vancouver to experience, you know, kind of the benefits of what Vancouver offers the world. So um, hopefully uh, we'll have more opportunities to, uh, to connect. And um, again, it was just a real pleasure to have you in Vancouver. Yeah. It was also, I think it's dumb luck that you and I were on the same panel together too. Cause it's like, I was really excited to be able to talk to you today about this stuff. It's, I just like geeking out <laughs> about this stuff. So I'm, I'm really appreciative of the, for the invite. Well, thank you. And, and thanks for sharing the, the fruits of your curiosity with, with everyone. And for those who are curious about Matt Farrell's work, um, we'll include a link to Undecided with Matt Farrell, the, the YouTube channel, as well as um, a link to your Achieve Energy Independence with Solar Guide, which I think is you just released uh, recently. If, if I'm yeah, it was earlier this year. Yeah, yeah, I put out this guide because I get so many questions of, can you help me get solar in my house? Uh, and I've, I know so many people in industry, I've learned so much about it. So I put together a guide of here's how you can figure out if it's the right fit for you to kind of step homeowners through what the process is like, what to expect, uh, the gotchas. So you don't end up in a bad position. So the whole guide is just meant to handhold people so they can figure out what's the right solution for them. Awesome. Well, Matt, thank you so much, Sean. Thank you. And that was Matt Farrell from Undecided YouTube channel. Uh, great conversation. Really enjoyed that. Um, I guess the, the, the one of the things that really stands out for me straight off the bat is Matt's background in user experience as a as an IT guy, and obviously that's uh, you know flowed over to interests in smart homes, technology, um, home automation, those sorts of things. But beyond that, I think there's something to learn about the the usability that that uh, consumer interface, the customer interface of a house of our buildings, uh, and and thinking about how the how we experience our buildings in the same way that a, a software developer might uh, be thinking about how how a user will experience their product. 
Um, and I think that's a really useful context, and and it's obviously flowed through to Matt's personal experience with with his house. And um, I like the idea of some of the greatest feedback coming from Matt's Matt's wife, uh, so, and saying how much they appreciate the the fresh air, and just how how fresh the that, that feels. Obviously. We have means of of quantifying that by putting sensors in and checking things like uh, CO two and temperature and relative humidity, but there's nothing like getting that that more subjective qualitative feedback, which we often hear about uh, on this show from people that that move into a passive house and then realise that oh, it's actually a really nice place to be. Um, Sean, let's go to you first. What what uh, what were your sort of outtakes from that chat? Yeah. So uh, again, really great opportunity to connect with someone that has been in the process, that has a uh, uh, kind of a technical background, and and sees the you know the benefit of the passivist principles and and the fact they went with that approach in their design and incorporate that into their building. And uh, and then of course, you know, my favorite subject is prefab, and of course, uh, reaching out to the uh, Ted Benson and his family of of constructors and manufacturing process and looking at how prefab was an exciting route uh, in their construction and uh, and being able to benefit from the factory approach to Pasado. So having that opportunity to have your elements show up. So again, that, that envelope approach where your envelope shows up and it's got structural insulation in the membranes to create a really good air tightness barrier, um, which is exciting to hear and to see you know, how quickly his house got around. I was really pleased to to hear a uh, mention of Ted Benson. I, I remember interviewing um, Ted himself uh, years and years ago uh, on the um, Homestyle Green podcast, which I think is still out there somewhere. And then an update later on when they were launching Unity Homes, which is basically taking their original sort of crafted product, um, factory built, but quite, Quite high, high end, beautiful homes, uh, and then creating this this brand. They rec- they saw a, a um, opportunity for a, a more cost cost effective option that still really leverages that benefit of factory built homes and, and, and was Unity Homes. So to hear someone like Matt come across that, and as he described it, it was the 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 um, the what did he call it the the palm <laughs> slap sort of. This is obvious, uh, and and uh, I always think it's interesting when someone from outside the passive house community starts to learn about passive house and kind of says, "Well, isn't this obvious?" Um, it's a real eye opener to the rest of the industry who's sort of indoctrinated into doing things that aren't passive house. When you hear someone like that who, who's just discovering or, or building for themselves, and they're like, "Well, aren't." All houses built this way, and <laughs> if not, why not? Um, Zach, what do you think? Uh, well, uh, I, yeah, I'll, I totally agreed. And I think the other thing is, and I think I'm I expressed this in our conversation is just I'm really grateful that he's getting the word out to so many people. I mean, you know, he's the his videos about passive house are reaching well over a million people, uh, and um, so that's. It's uh, and and from I think also from I mean what he's built up over the years is this 
uh, I think level of of trust and credibility with his with his audience because he's he's just you know I think that's part of the 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 theme of undecided is you know is this is and he talked about the curiosity right of like you know we don't we don't necessarily go in he doesn't go into things knowing the answer necessarily and and he's and he's exploring and so the fact that that's you know bringing him to passive house for his own house is I think um, really powerful therefore. Um, and a and a great story. So I'm I'm grateful from you know our, my perch <laughs> to 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 see that happening. And 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 I think that some of my envy came through a little bit too, probably in the conversation. <laughs> YouTube envy, yeah, exactly. YouTube envy, yeah, totally. Uh, you got to meet one of your one of your uh, stars, and that's right, heroes. exactly, that... exactly. A little fanboy yeah. moment, yeah. And yeah, he, and he held up. He held up well. He held up well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and of course that's fanboy with a ph, of course. <laughs> of course, of course it is. Thanks for that, Sean. <laughs> yeah. Um I you, you they talked a lot you talked a lot about that that curiosity and I had a had a real quick flick through some of his uh YouTube videos and they do feel like mini documentaries in mm-hmm. in that sort of investigative kind of way where they sort of pitches a question at the beginning or a scenario and so and then really seeks out to say well why why is this this way why does this happen this way and then and then explore it into it and and package that up in a nice 22 minute uh, episode so right right um yeah really digestible really really good stuff so um yeah i hope hope people if they haven't found those already um, highly recommend jumping into some of those and, and learning about all sorts of things, not just passive house, you know, EVs and home automations, yeah. other other exciting things. Um, so how do we feel about uh, Matt's house not being a passive house? Yeah, no, I mean, I look at it as it's, it's first off, it was designed with the principles. And then as he went through the road, um, looking at prefab and the assemblies didn't quite match up and the blower door score not getting quite to where it should be. Um, I think the takeaway is, 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 you know, hopefully we can get Matt back in a year and talk about the experience and get maybe his wife to join in and, and, and talk about the experience of, um, their home. Um, you know, cause there, I'm sure there'll be some design things that they bring up that maybe they liked and didn't like. But then we can also just talk about that user experience of, you know, what data did you collect? Um, what did you learn from the data? What should have you collected that you didn't collect? Um, what um, what benefits did you expect? And, and of course, did you get them or achieve them? And I think that's some of the, you know, the great things about it is, is just um, you, you put that standard first. Um, a lot of times people are looking to, you know, achieve different things. And I'll just kind of use, say, the, the net zero where you build a code house and slap a whole bunch of solar panels and you get to net zero. But ideally, that that first premise is using the Passados principles to get you further along in building a better building. And if you don't quite get there, you know, what were some of those um, processes that may have, you know, stopped it where the, you know, the prefabrication had some thermal bridges, well, they could have yeah. tweaked. They could have tweaked the prefab system, but you know, again, that prefab system is unique, and that's what they do. And so, there's a cost to customization, and yeah, um, those so, diminishing returns. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know, those yeah. decisions to maybe not go all the way were um, either cost driven or time driven, um, and they're all valid points. You know, like you yeah. can't say, "Hey, that's wrong." It was they had goals that they started at the beginning, and then one of the performance indicators was passive house and they you know went down that road and 
um, again, I'd love to see if we can get him back in a year and, and hear about uh, the experience. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's, you know, we don't need to be purists here. Um, I think, and, and that said, I think, you know, one of the benefits of certification is the QAQC that comes with that. And just the, mm. the assurance that, that you're, you're going to get a, a, a durable building that meets the energy performance and comfort goals that you expect. Um, I think there's QAQC that's probably built into the uh, unity homes process. And, and um, so, but there's, you know, I think that that's just the, a little bit of the risk there. Uh, but I, I agree that, you know, it, it, those, those decisions make sense and, and it would be, it would be great to see the numbers, you know, in a year. No, I think you're right. The, I mean, the, the QA, the, the product out of the factory and, and, um, put up on site, uh, met the target. And I thought that was really interesting how then you come along and add the services and add the ventilation and, and you, you're adding holes to the envelope. So, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it was then a matter of, um, coming back from there and, and plugging what needs to be plugged. I mean, houses need holes in them. Um, it's just you need the right type of holes and you need control over those holes with, with the ventilation. Um, so I thought that that was an interesting process. And I guess part of the benefit you get from certification is ensuring that you have those follow-up uh, blow door tests, which, which Matt actually did. Uh, because of, of his own interest, and you know, you got the mm-hmm. the hers rider back again, which you you wouldn't normally do um, unless you were certifying. So he kind of went through all the motions that you would do if you were um, certifying, uh, and just didn't hit those um, performance metrics from the certification point of view. But I, I think it's a really good point, Sean, that the ultimately other the outside of geeks like us. Most people don't want a house that's 0.6 air changes. They want a house that's warm, dry, comfortable, doesn't have condensation. So I think it will be really interesting to see the the proof later on because I'm I'm sure Matt is going to monitor the heck out of his building given the um, things that he's interested in for his videos. So it will be interesting to see what the data shows in in his climate to say you know what what does the relative humidity get um up to and what does the temperature get down to and does that result in any any visible condensation anywhere or not um yeah so uh it'll be interesting to to see how that goes but uh, yeah I, I agree zach that i think for the for the masses there's still a lot to be said for for the process that quality assurance that you get from going down the certification route whichever flavor that happens to be yeah, I mean, another reason I love him to come back is um, he is such a storyteller, and um, I mean, I think that's why so many people enjoy his his videos. Is just mm. he tells an eloquent sco- story on whatever he's researching it, and um, and that's you know that's the exciting part of what he brings to the community is just great storytelling. And uh, I'd love to see yeah what he would what the story will tell in a year's times of of that experience. Yeah. Yeah. Just one thing that um, he did point out as a, as a learning uh, straight off the bat was the mechanical room. Uh, and I thought that's a really good point. I mean, that's one of the things that re- that still stands out for me from when I did my passive house course with uh, with Cara Rosemeyer here in, in New Zealand. Uh, that it's all about it starts with ventilation and you've got to allow enough space. You just sort of design around those. But like, you've got to put the lungs in first. And the problems that I'm seeing on a daily basis right now, when we're trying to get ventilation into homes here in in, uh, um, in New Zealand, is is when people trying to add things on or squeeze them in 
to an existing floor plan and there's just no there's nowhere to put the ducting or there's nowhere to put the heat, the the uh, exchange unit and i thought that was a, also a really good point about not just allowing space for the physical unit but also for a person to get around the physical unit to get yeah. in there and install it to service it maintain it these are probably things that mechanical service engineers think of quite normally when they're building or designing systems for non-residential buildings and it's almost like we need to think of residential buildings as scaled down non-residential buildings they've got to have all the same stuff with mechanical services and structures and everything else um you've got to get it all in there and and it's not that hard if you think about the end uh at the beginning yeah and i love you bring that up because uh, multi pulsons um kind of i i always say it's like the master class of passive his pattern language course that's the first thing he mentions and ideally it's actually starting off with like an eight foot by eight foot box is your mechanical room in the right spot so then you know everything can branch upwards um and yeah in my design meetings or integrated design planning sessions you know that's the first thing i I'll look at a plans and they'll like show a mechanical room. And I just take a red line and just say, Oh, your six by four box now needs to turn into eight by eight. And how do we modify it? Um, because you're right. It is so important to just make sure that it can be serviceable. Um, even if it ends up being a storage closet down the road, at least it starts off at uh, an accessible space to ensure that all of our, you know, heat pumps, HRVs, ERVs, you know, hot water systems all can have the right space to, to do what they need to do. Awesome. I really enjoyed that. Uh, thank you, Sean. Yeah, thanks, Sean. That was a hey, great connection. And again, appreciate all the podcasts you guys do because again, I'm learning from what you guys do as well. And uh, again, it's great of all the resources that the Accelerator puts out and uh, glad to be able to capture Matt um, at a different event and have this kind of cross-pollination of different communities coming together. And I think that's where we're going to see the growth if the, you know, the Passos community is tapping into, you know, the Carbon Leadership Forum and, and Embody Carbon Conversations and electrification and, you know, all the stuff that we kind of talk about, um, seeing more of, uh, you know, communities come together and share the same language and passion. is It's exciting. It's exciting. Very exciting. Speaking of exciting, uh, Excited about uh, FearsCon coming up, Zach. Indeed. Matthew, we're going to, and Sean, we're all going to be together in Houston very soon. Yeah. So, so folks, the FearsCon, the core conference is November 9th and 10th um, in Houston, Texas. Um, and there, then there is a, uh, there are project tours. I think they're all sold out on, on November 8th, as well as some pre-conference things. I'm, I'm going to do the carbon pre-conference uh, uh a presentation with Skylar Swinford and Chris Magwood and Jacob Rakusen. Uh, anyway, lots of great stuff. So please, uh, we'll we'll include a, a link in in the show notes if you haven't um, pulled the trigger and you're on the fence. Please do so and and join us in Houston. Um, we'll also we have a bunch of uh, live programming, of course, uh, underway at the Accelerator every Wednesday, um, Thursday your time at, at Down Under. But I'm sorry, the time is horrible. Uh, but you can you can catch a recording of it. We have Passpass Accelerator live every Wednesday, and then we're doing we're rolling out uh, new videos every week on Reimagine Buildings. We have the new the new magazine, so lots of stuff to dive into at PassiveHouseAccelerator.com. Thanks very much. Uh, thank you, Sean, and uh, we'll be back again next week on the Passive House Podcast.